0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode one hundred and seventy-nine of Armchair Producers. I'm one of your hosts, George Tarrant, along with a studio audience tonight. Just sitting just off camera is one of the many mascots of the show, but uh, she chooses to remain anonymous. But I am, as always, joined by the talent, the myth, the legend, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? Uh,
1: I am fine and dandy. Uh, we're coming into winter here in Melbourne. It's a uh a wet night here i assume mm-hmm. it's a little bit rainy out your side of town
0: as well um, um i'm not looking i'm choosing for reality to be what i want it to be so i'm not looking outside but it was definitely raining this morning <laughs> it was indeed and i can hear
1: like this hasn't rained a lot since i've lived in this house i can hear dripping in this room here somewhere i think but i can't find it so <laughs> um needless to say that it's a lot less stressful when the roof is dripping and you don't own the property. Because, like... Mm. It's,
0: uh, not <laughs> jokes on you is actually just the social experiment that Michelle's running on you. She's just got, like, the sound of dripping somewhere. No, like the trash is tel- slowly insane.
1: The telltale heart or something. That, you know.
0: <laughs> Real the estate themes. <laughs> it's on point. Got a All cracking right. show, I think, this week. Yeah, uh, we've got I think quite um... a big one. We've got some big releases. We've got a big chain movie which is cleverly chosen by by my co-host here um which the following on from Eli Roth in piranha 3D from last time we have gone into the somewhat legendary two for one grindhouse Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino written and directed homage to the grindhouse genre, as well as the biggest movie of the year, the Super Mario Brothers movie, and followed up with nice, cheerful little ditty, The Boston Strangler.
1: Should we get cracking on to uh, get straight into action then? Uh, like, yeah, you know, let's, let's get into it. audience desperately waiting in bed breath to hear what we think about a 15-year-old film. It's scary to say that word. 15. 15 16 years. Actually. 16 years, actually, so... 16 that's even worse 15 here in australia because like well anyway uh we are talking of course about the 2007 uh double feature yeah grindhouse yeah um um, did you get a real did
0: you get to see this in the cinema i did yeah um this came out i i'm pretty sure it actually came out the year before i started working for the ugc cinema in um west india key and um i remember going to watch it i had their unlimited cinema pass and i went to 368 movies in a year and this was one of the double feature ones because they had a special evening presentation of the extended version with the, the the fake trailers in the middle and everything like that so it was it was a great time <laughs> it, it, How it never, actually never got released in australia
1: um not a proper really? release um the film it failed in the us Yes, um, as I recall, um, people apparently would walk out of a cinema after um, Planet Terror because they didn't realise that they were seeing yeah. a double feature and had to put up signs and stuff. But yeah, no one went and saw it in the US as a double feature. And a three-hour <laughs> film in 2007 was a bit long. These days, it's a fucking half of the course. Yeah. Um, but uh, so they, they in in territories like Australia, they just decided to split it into two separate films and release them that way again yeah. without a great deal of fanfare either. Um, so uh, it did. I think it has played at the Astor here in Melbourne, which uh-huh. is a, a repertoire cinema. Uh, they've played the actual original version a few times, but I've never had a chance to um to be there and see it. So I've only seen yeah. it on television. Um, now I watched the full version, the one end to end version. Whereas okay. I think you watched the film separately, on, which is on Stan. I did actually. I had a quick poke around at Stan, and I think you've got pretty much everything in those films. Anyway, You get the fake trailers at the start of yeah. Death Proof and stuff like that anyway. So I don't think there's a massive difference. You just yeah. split over two.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, they just kind of fine-tuned it. and went, all right, let's just split it and make it more palatable, which makes sense, I guess.
1: I did notice, actually, with, with, with um, Death Proof, if you, which is the second film of the two, Yes. Um, the, the credits are for both films, even on stand. So it's right. a pretty clumsy,
0: you know, we'll just cut it in half. It's kind of fitting for the grindhouse nature of it, though.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> so technicalities aside, what
1: is this thing? As I said, it's a double feature. It is Planet Terror, written and directed by Robert Rodriguez. He, of course, of Spy Kids 3D. Um <laughs> <laughs> starting with yeah with with his most most best known work um <laughs> alita battle angel uh desperado um what's up of mexico Sin city dawn Sin city don't mention the sequel um, <laughs> 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 um then of course we've also got death proof which is the first chain film quentin tarantino uh directed who of course it is true Again, That's I true. always declare my biases. Tarantino, I am a Tarantino Tarantino, bit of a Tarantino fanboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Planet Terra is, I guess, Rodriguez's take on a zombie film. Um, yep. And Death Proof is a, what is it? Kind of a road, sort of a female revenge movie,
0: well, it's, a road movie. Yeah, it, it's kind of, I remember there was an interview with him and he mentioned, uh, he, I think it was Tarantino said something along the lines "If Death Proof is a slasher movie, it just so happens that the knife in this movie is a car. It's not <laughs> too bad. It's not, it's not it's too bad, but it's, just got, it's, it's interesting watching
1: it after reading his book and you can start to see the elements of the things he talks about in his book, the, the films he loved and mm. had taken to as a child um, or, as a young, or as a young person is really filtering through this film. Um, yeah. It really is a love letter to the cinema that these guys grew up with.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: And it's full of really highly stylized flourishes. And I know what you're thinking. Highly stylized Tarantino? Are you fucking mad? No. No, I refuse to believe it. That's what you're thinking. He doesn't do that. Of course, he's known for being a very highly stylized filmmaker, but Mm the stylized elements of this are more of a fact of they've literally scratched the film, uh, if they use film. Um, I'm kind of guessing Rodriguez used a digital camera because... The man loves digital cinema. Um Quentin's yeah. more of a film simp Um yeah. yeah, and they've got sort of a scratch screeny looking film. They've got the uh the fake cheesy trailers made by mm-hmm. all their friends, they've got the missing reels. Yeah. Um, the burnout but- of the screen the bumpers you know with a little cat cartoon cat turning into a panther, very restricted and you know yeah the, yeah uh, the little the little jingle dun, 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 feature presentation that, um, that that's now just the standard you know, yeah um so the first thing is I thought of while I was watching this was when I saw this I I've only seen this once before and that was back when it came shortly after it came out mm. and I thought to myself fuck this is so fucking cool seeing, <laughs> they're doing all this shit you know the, I said all the sort of little elements to make it look grindhousey. y mm. 15, 16 years later, you're like, nah, it's a bit much, guys. It's a bit Yeah. Much. yeah. What did you make of all that stylized uh, stuff to make it look like a grindhouse?
0: It was nice for a moment, but then it just grates on you. And it feels like, I, I don't know if it was a psychosomatic thing or not, but it, particularly with Planet Terror it felt like the quality of the image got worse as the movie went on so like okay I I get what you're doing but that doesn't necessarily make it good you you're you're doing something that you is very much in in keeping with so sort of like those old dusty videotapes yes young kids Movies came on VHS tapes, and they got damaged ridiculously easily. And you'd have those weird kind of flickerings, and the bad edits that for the sort of like home release, and things would be cut out, or you'd suddenly see from one one camera angle to another, and they'd repeat the same line because of where they were cutting it, and it wasn't a professional job, and things like that. But yeah, that was a quirk of the time. But we've kind of progressed on from that and grindhouse to me doesn't have to be those shoddy edit works or poor cinema poor screen quality or anything like that i'm kind of surprised that they didn't go full boogie and go all right you know what we're going to do it four by nine (laughs) and just and then maybe stretch it out or something like that or have a scene where much like if you watch the wide-angle version of buffy the vampire slayer for the first season or two it's not made for, for widescreen, and you can actually see sort of like the building of a set on either side of the, some of the screenshots and things. That would have kind of made a little bit of sense if they were really going all in, but it was all fascia stuff, and it did great and drain by the end of the movie. It's like, okay, yep, enough with the squeeze of these, please.
1: Uh, and I also felt, to sort of go along the same lines that you're talking about, um, while well, you felt Planetary looked worse as it went along, I kind of got the impression that halfway through uh, Death Proof, they forgot about all of that shit and it just stopped doing it. Like the production values of the second half of Death Proof are actually perfectly fine, quite good, you know, the production values without all the scratchy film effects and missing real bullshit. I mean, that was in the first half more. And the second half of the film is just like a normal Tarantino film. You would go and see that wasn't made to a, you know house cinema in its look at least yeah. um and i was like hey, did we just sort of throw that idea
0: away halfway through or <laughs> yeah it was it was a weird sensation and we'll go into it more in in detail but death proof does very much feel like a movie of two parts because you've got a long introduction to stuntman mike and who he is and that he's the killer and then it cuts to a different scenario And again, it takes a long time for Stuntman Mike to appear. And that one, he's not as successful in what he's trying to do to the point where it just becomes uh, like three crazy women (laughs) chasing down a redneck. (laughs) And, um, you know, it is rather satisfying, but it's like, okay, did we really need the first half of this movie? (laughs) Because
1: that was satisfying. (laughs) We'll start with Time of Terror. Now, yeah. I guess a couple of things out of the way here, from my perspective, mm. but to be clear up front, I think mm. Planet Terror is the better of the two. At least mm. I thought so when I saw it the first time, and I, I still hold to that. Mm. Um, and I think Death Proof might be the worst thing that Quentin Tarantino's ever done. Um mm. And I think he admits it might be the worst thing he's ever done. Mm. Um That's at least I know. Again, fanboy hat on. Mm. That's it's not a terrible film. So. Mm. Saying it's the worst thing he's ever done is actually damning him with faint praise, in the sense that it's really not bad. It's just not Not. as good as a lot of the other things. This or hateful eight, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's, uh, you know, uh, it's not up to most of his standard of most of his work, at least in Mm. my opinion, and that can be debated for a long time. But uh, Planet Terror, after an experimental bioweapon is released, turning thousands into zombie-like creatures up to a ragtag group of survivors to stop the infected yeah. and those behind its release uh stars here are rose mcgowan freddie rodriguez as ray uh that was a strange casting choice because there's so many people in this who are like gone on to bigger and better things and he's just freddie rodriguez who people everyone uh josh brolin in here as uh dr william block marley yeah. shelton who was in sin city as dakota block uh, michael for famous the were famous the iconic michael byan sheriff haig mm-hmm. uh bruce willis in a blink and you're missing cameo uh, Pretty which, much, of course, yeah. which I think was the idea of i think the i read the idea was that they would in greenhouse films that hire the big star shoot mm. five minutes of footage with them so that's all they could afford yeah and then not have him actually in the scenes of any of the other actors but just you know uh, they, they can so have a like, the big they we, have the, we've got him for six close-ups and that's it <laughs> and then you can put him on the poster and people would come and see it they're not realizing it you know yeah they're gone in five minutes uh Naveen Andrews might be familiar face of those who remember lost I'm sorry mm-hmm. if you remember lost Fergie's very very short acting career mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and a few other familiar faces like uh, Tom Savini in there as well yep. mm-hmm. um straight up bit of a disturbing situation at the start of this film in the sense that it stars <laughs> Rose McGowan and it's and it has been produced by the Weinstein company yeah seeing the name rose mcgowan and harvey weinstein in the same credits you're like Uh oh that's a bit Uh iffy it makes you wonder what really happened behind the scenes of this one because Uh you know we are like
0: google it if you don't know what i'm talking about Uh um and even um the because i think it was on this movie that uh, Rose and Robert Rodriguez started their relationship and that turned very sour as well from the sounds of things. So it's sort of like mm, this this probably was an interesting work environment and that's a very, very diplomatic way of putting challenging. For shame is, I think Rose McGowan's actually really great in this film.
1: Yeah. Um, she plays a go-go dancer named Cherry Darling who is also <laughs> maybe aspiring to be a stand-up comic. Um... <laughs> her she is a a friend from way back uh, freddie rodriguez who plays ray comes back into her life on the same night as the uh El ray being of course the fictional destination in from dust till dawn if you were paying Mm -hmm. attention to that um Mm -hmm. as the same night that uh a deal for bruce willis is trying to buy this bioweapon and it goes south and it gets out and turns people into nasty nasty zombies those Mm -hmm. attacks Uh, Rose McGowan, and uh, they're forced to amputate her leg Mm. uh, as a result of that. Um, resulting in some very interesting improvised um, (laughs) leg substitutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, we have uh, Marley Shelton's Dr. Dakota Block, who's having an affair with Fergie of all people. um,
0: Progressive. No, that's a sister, wasn't it? I thought they, was, they were having an affair. I thought they were sisters. Because there's That's that what, whole thing of, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Josh Brolin's talking. I'm like, oh, you haven't seen your sister in a while. I thought you didn't
1: see it. Oh, maybe I wasn't paying yeah. attention. I just seemed he be pissed off because she was having an affair. But either way, Josh Brolin's a nasty, nasty motherfucker in this film. this yes, is. Yes. This is the role that got him, in the end, indirectly, uh, his role in No Country for Old Men. <laughs>
0: What you were gonna say the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: Well, I mean, indirectly, I mean, he I think maybe it was that role in Vern Country for Old Men that made him a star. Yeah. But um, apparently he uh they shot an audition tape for him, Quentin Tarantino. That's quite an audition tape that had Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Um, and um Marley Shelton's actually she, Dr. Coded Blocks quite a, got an interesting character here of her little hypodermic needles. Mm-hmm. and one of the more interesting um sort of uh I guess sequences in the film is her, after uh, her husband uh, basically numbs her arms while he's basically uh, interrogating her, um, that uh, she has to then try and escape from the zombies and get into a car without Mm. the use of her hands, which leads to one of the most horrific, cringy. oh, I can't watch scenes in the film, which I I won't Mm. spoil in case people want to see it, yeah. Um uh so after that, because it turns to the fan is standard zombie fair, we have the yeah. standoff with the ragtag group of survivors in the um in the, the, the barbecue place, uh the sheriff, etc. The, mm-hmm. the random person getting bitten and dying. It, it, where it gets really interesting is where they replace Cherry's leg with a machine gun. <laughs> I <made> you something. <laughs> and I thought the scenes of her with the machine gun were fucking badass. It's super, super
0: cheesy. It mm-hmm. makes no sense, but it's kind of badass. That's that's the number one thing I think that really hits it for me with preferring this to Death Proof, in that this movie paints to the edges of its absurdity and everything about it, every character is basically a stereotype that modern cinema is based off of like the badass female lead the reluctant hero like El ray could easily be swapped out for um snake Pliskin or someone like that because he's like he doesn't say much but he never misses and it's like trashy lines and things like that everything everything about it is just stereotypical and a cliche cliche to the to the point of everything is homage and disgusting and um it relishes in we know what movie we're making here we know what we're shooting for and we are just doing that and everything from like oh i'm sorry i've got to take your balls darling (laughs) it's just stupid lines like that but they fit into this type of movie perfectly um, and Death Proof is a different kind of animal.
1: I feel like maybe Rodriguez is a little bit more comfortable in this space uh, than Tarantino in some ways. Where I mean, Tarantino over the years has shown he can do many different genres. Obviously, he's done uh, westerns, he's done you know modern gangster films, kung fu films, uh-huh. um, but horror really hasn't been something he's gone near before or after this. But uh, you can i'll leave it up to the audience to decide whether this is horror that's horror elements
0: uh, and if, if he's
1: as you say trying to make a slasher film that's a bit new uh, uh, uh whereas rodriguez had come early in his career had done the faculty um uh, uh, and apparently there's a story where he went and told some of the stars about the zombie films are going to make a comeback uh, That you know got distracted and didn't make a zombie film until yeah you know, <laughs> this one basically <laughs> after which you know that, it, it had happened yeah Um so I think you're right this is just a fun movie it's it's very gross Yeah. So and it goes that gross f factor uh it really plays up that with gross f
0: factor I also like some of the the comedy of the grossness like the fact that um uh Dr William Block is paranoid about his own health and he's got his thing and you see that bit of a like Randy you don't see me chewing this you know i'm stressed and he sees the, the body and, and snaps and then the uh, the mutant zombie thing whatever they are just purposefully just kind of smushes it like a child across the face of him just yeah to infect him and then just walks off whereas every other mutant monster thing that we've seen has been just attack devour this one's like no. Nope. This is personal. <laughs> just does the minimum amount to cause him the maximum amount of carnage. It's, it's, it's
1: stupid, but it's great. Um, so the other thing that's probably notable in this one is the scene in the car with um, where Dakota Block's uh, son, Tony Block. Mm. Uh, one of the more shocking segments of the film. I will not spoil yeah. it again. But yeah. that was actually, um, that's Rebel Rodriguez, that's um, his son yeah and yeah you know, it's think that they managed to pull some fairly poignant moments and a it's essentially a parody really yeah. or is it a parody is it an homage it's a bit of both yeah um you know uh and some so it's it's, it's really successful and has a couple of those oh fuck moments mm-hmm. and but you mm-hmm. can't look at them as so mm. mm-hmm. but also holy shit moments yeah um along with the super gross out and ridiculousness going on at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, which I think he kind of hit the right balance of this. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not a great zombie film, um, but I think he, 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 he hit the brief.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so. And I will, I will also point out, I actually enjoyed Freddy Rodriguez as Ray in this. Cause he was, not your usual kind of leading man kind of look he's he certainly seems a little bit shorter compared to the other people around him but he still carries himself quite well and where they're still not willing to give him a gun so he just has two butterfly knives and he's just going through the hospital to get cherry Darlin and he's just slicing and stabbing and flipping around all over the place it's shot well it looks cool he's moving well with it he looks like I, uh almost um almost like a, what I'd imagine a Mexican version of Wolverine could look like with uh, sort of like smaller stockier stature just with knives and just jumping around where he needs to and just being very efficient with his killing it's, it was it, kind of cool and and the fact that they said yep you know what we're just going to actually make you as damn cheesy as possible like sitting on the the water bed with cherry dance so like oh yeah he jt knows how to how to live it's like mm, does he <laughs> but okay that fits with your character everything the, all the pieces just worked and collectively helped move this mess of blood and squibs just explode in the right direction from beginning to end
1: uh freddie you're right he's not fine with what he's he's actually fine He's good mm. it's just a case of like i've never heard of him Note, he's no relation to robert nope. as far as i can tell and when you see some of the names here you look through the trivia apparently mm-hmm. tom Everett scott was considered for the role of El Ray, and you're like what the fuck? um mm-hmm. but more mm-hmm. interestingly uh robert danny jr and antonio verderis were apparently considered for the role of El ray now Ben Banderas of course famously collaborated with um, with Rodriguez on in um, the uh, desperado desperado and once upon a time in Mexico and there was another one in there. I can't think of it. Um, well, there no, was El Mari- El Mariachi El Mariachi um, but that didn't have Antonio Banderas okay not um, but, but Banderas, a, a famous um, collaborator, mm-hmm. but Dennek Jr. in 2007. That's the year before I think Iron Man. And what an interesting choice he might have been to have played El Rey. Yeah. Um, Who knows if it's true, um, but it it is interesting if they picked Mm. someone who was pretty much, and I don't think I've ever heard of him before or since.
0: I only know him. He was also in uh, The Lady in the Water, the very much maligned um, M. Night Shyamalan movie with Paul Giamatti and Bryce Dallas Howard and, I enjoy that movie for what it is. It's a really unusual movie. Um, but it was kind of one of the first ones where there wasn't really a twist for a Shyamalan movie. And people said, sort of, uh, what? No, that, no we, that was we expect a twist. A twist. <laughs> the twist is there's no twist. Yes. <laughs> um,
1: so should we move, let's uh, move on to, to pl- uh, Let's move on to Death Proof. Death yeah. Proof. So uh, Death Proof, uh, we'll just get the uh, synopsis up for that one. Um, Obviously, God, right. the big star yeah. in this one is uh, Kurt Russell, who plays yep. stuntman Mike. We have Zoe Bell playing mm-hmm. Zoe Bell, mm-hmm. Rosario Dawson. Uh, uh, we have a big name in here, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, in a small mm-hmm. role, and Rose mm-hmm. McGowan again. And of course, yep. our link to last week, Eva Roth, mm-hmm. um, who was also a producer on the film and made one of the fake trailers. Yes, uh, two uh, separate sets of voluptuous women. Are stalked at different times by a scarred stuntman who uses his death-proof cars to execute his murderous plans. Mm-hmm. Um, you made an excellent point that this is almost like two films sort of stitched together, mm. and a film I kind of reminded me of a little bit in a strange way. It was from *Dust Till Dawn*. Um, it was yeah. anywhere near as good as that. Let me mm. say, but like I don't. I remember I saw that when it first came out when I was like nineteen. Mm. and like you're going along it's a road movie you've got you know uh George Clooney Quentin Tarantino and you mm-hmm. know Harvey Keitel to being cool yep. and then they get to the titty twister and fucking... I still love the name of that place <laughs> and I just love Cheech Marin's speech out of it. you know hard oh, pussy yeah. cold pussy yellow pussy smelly pussy <laughs> uh, um pussy for a betty you find cheaper pussy anywhere Fuck it. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a great film. Um, but that you know, all of a sudden, the vampires. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. The movie, which is they're very Tarantino-esque. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Vampires? Yeah. Um, not quite the tonal shit here, but in the sense that we meet our first set of um, voluptuous women, which is not a word I would have used to describe
0: them. No, I wouldn't either. They're, they're definitely sexy and attractive, but... When I think of voluptuous, I think very big, curvaceous bodies. I think
1: of the women who were in the film we watched last week. They were voluptuous. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yep. Um, so we have Jungle Julia, played by Sydney Tamia Poitier, who is, of course, the daughter of Sydney Poitier, I think, or a late, maybe a granddaughter, but she's related to Sydney Poitier. Uh-huh. um so jungle Julie is a radio dj she uh-huh. and her friends are at a bar a, very, a painfully hip bar um in uh-huh. texas or something um, yeah and they're having drinks it's they're you know talking shit and uh there at the bar is also um rose mcgowan's pam who went uh-huh. to school with jungle julia and co do not get along.
0: Uh-huh.
1: She ends up being offered a ride home by Stuntman Mike, Kurt Russell, who she meets at the bar. The bartender uh-huh. here, played by Quentin Tarantino, uh-huh. in one of his better roles. Because he doesn't do much. <laughs> and he doesn't um, put on a terrible accent. <laughs> small things. Um uh, and in the process of giving her a ride home, uh-huh. uh basically kills her with uh-huh. his car. Uh, and I'm like. There are a number of problems here at this point in time. It's like, okay, it's a bit weird to get in a car and go home with someone you don't know mm-hmm. for anybody, though that is, of course, Uber's business model. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, for especially <laughs> for a, a single woman, I think most of them are enough, probably would be a bit sus about that. I mean, yeah, the film doesn't really explain why all of a sudden she's okay. Also, when you see the car, it's basically yeah. it says, oh, it's a movie car, baby and like there's no seat and he has to put like a metal seat to install yeah of, and there's no seat belts for for the and the passenger side and you're like
0: mm.
1: i didn't know anybody who would be okay with that like, they'd be like "Fucking get the fuck out of there!" alarm would be going off in their head but like mm-hmm. obviously the movie needs to happen so she does and he yep. by you know breaking and throwing her around at high speed he manages to kill uh rose kill pam in a pretty
0: gory scene yeah i so the lead up to that i really liked in um you know he gets to the t junction junctions so like so left or right and she says her decision is ah oh, damn that's a shame and just how he explains it like well if you've been going in the same direction it would have been a while before you started having to panic and it's like that's scary logic that makes sense and i i like that because it really added this massive extra level of creepy to this guy, Stumphead Mike, very quickly presents himself as weird. The sort of like close ups as he's eating the 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 the, the, um, uh, the nachos and things like that. It's just uncomfortable. The grease and things like that. It's always if you want someone to look disgusting and not trust them, you do close ups of them eating and just grease. They did it in Lord of the Rings with Lord Denethor eating the tomato and things like that. It's 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 all gross. But then that just adds this whole level of predetermination um, for his characters. So i like, yep, as soon as I offered, this is what I was going to do. And you just made it a little bit more exciting for me because you scream. Um, but then the actual brutality, it's, it's horrible. The way that it's filmed, the look of it and the kind of the final kind of look of her choking on her own blood and dying. It's very uncomfortable making. And I yeah, don't I'm know, sure if, it's, I'm sure
1: that's deliberate.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if that's quite right for the movie, because especially the, the kind of tone that they were going for. And it was very shocking. And Tarantino is known for that. So like playing one, uh, playing in one style, and then putting this shock in there. Like prime example, the infamous car journey um, in Pulp Fiction, where he accidentally shoots Marvin in the face. You know that was out of the blue, but it also still kind of played in the rest of the, the feel of the movie. This suddenly felt very very different, and then the climax of that, this first half of the movie, with. Um, the really cool music playing and then the car crash. It was a great kind of culmination. And then we get the second half of the movie, which is different again. It's unusual. I, I think the, the good thing about the upside
1: about the first half was it really, yet again, demonstrates what Quentin's best at, in my opinion, which mm. is dialogue. And it's been mm-hmm. there since day dot, that conversation around the table in the first, mm. the opening scene of of Our Dogs? You know, the, the Madonna, you know, dick, like dick, a dick, virgin, dick, 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 you know, mm-hmm. uh, and like it's and through to the conversation you just mentioned in the car, the famous you know quarter pound of cheese conversation in, in Pulp Fiction, or you mm-hmm. go to the first 10 minutes of Inglorious Masters with uh, uh, Hans Lander in The French Farmer. It's just, it's just, it's just brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. That's what he does best is that dialogue, I think, yeah. and I think anybody, I think he's the best, personally in cinema mm-hmm. in, in- today, but we only get that in the first half. There's some really great writing mm. of those of these characters in the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, even for Stuntman, Mike, he has some great lines and stuff in there in, in conversation. Mm-hmm. The second half is a car chase, basically. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why this film's a lesser work for him in the sense that he's kind of robbed himself of his number one weapon. His mm. best, His best tool is his dialogue writing. And there's not a whole lot of it in the second half. There's a bit between Mm. when we meet the second group of victims played by uh, Rosario Dawson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, Tracy Toms, and Zoe Bell. When Mm. we get to know him a little bit, and I like the fact that he spent some time on it getting to know them and Mm. figuring out their dynamic together was kind of fun. Yeah, But it's not really the same. It's not quite the the opportunity for great dialogue that he had Mm. earlier in the Mm. film. So it's kind of like, but you know, either you, you kind of need to pick one yeah I don't think I think you know either we don't spend a whole lot of time getting to know the people up front and mm. you save the good dialogue for the main characters or the first people we meet who get the great dialogue are the main characters you know mm. um it just felt it, it did feel like we spent a lot of time a lot of cool writing getting to know a
0: group of people who is done mm. gone um because I kinda, kind of feel like It they could have had very similar scenario just smudging the two together and just instead of having the um Jungle Julia troupe um being the ones who have slight interaction with Stuntman Mike, they could have just gone straight away with Rosario Dawson, Zoe Bell and everyone and just had the best of both worlds because it they delivered a fantastically creepy character in stuntman like greatly performed by kurt russell um, but yeah we we spend a lot of time and a lot of character development and quality writing on these guys that bye bye you're gone and then we suddenly get these this next lot that we it goes long periods of time before we we get we get where we really, it really wants to go. And I feel like if they had written the two across, that might have been the better option. But I'm not Tarantino. No, fewer. <laughs> <laughs> the The second half, uh, again,
1: having read his book, you can start to see mm. the influences start to filter through here. He talks in his book a great depth about Bullet. You Maybe you and I watched Bullet a while ago, the Steve McQueen film for Famous. You know, 15 minute car chasing, which yeah. is San arguably, Francisco quality. Arguably the greatest car chase ever filmed. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that argument. Um, <laughs> I, or uh, Vanishing Point, which gets mentioned in this film, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't seen. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I think that's what he's going for with the car chase. I think he wants to kind of recreate a small mm. part of those car chases that he saw and loved when he was a young man going to the cinema, I, he is less successful on that front. I mean, yeah. he's not Donnie Yen, you know, yeah. um, uh, or I don't know who else directed those horrible Fast and Furious movies, but I don't even know, do they have car chases in those movies anymore? Or are they all spaceships by now? I'm not sure. It's, it's,
0: um, it's about family,
1: Travis. It's not down. about the cars. So I got one good thing and one really bad thing to say about the second half of the film. The good mm. thing is fucking Zoe Bell. Yeah. Like, like, if you don't know who Zoe Bell is, fair enough, she's not a particularly well-known actor because she's not an actor. She's a stunt woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, Uma Thurman's stunt double in Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. And I guess she got to know uh, Quentin a little bit. He wrote a fucking movie for her, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and she just plays herself now. She's a stunt woman playing a stunt woman named Zoe Bell. Yep. Uh, and her she did all her own stunts in this film. Uh They apparently offered to get her a stunt double. Um, (laughs) And she said, no, thank you. Um, And so her stunt work in acting in this, I think is top notch. Look, Uh she's never going to win an Academy award. It's not that kind of role, but it Uh felt very natural to me. It
0: it was adorable. There's like little poses that she was making as she was trying to debate with, um, with Kim about actually doing the, the mast. I think they call the maneuver or something like that. And it, It was, it was very organic and natural and considering she's primarily a stunt double, she was in scenes in dialogue heavy scenes with Rosario Dawson and, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, whose star just keeps on rising and Rosario Dawson, who is one of the delights of modern cinema, she held her own pretty well. You wouldn't know, that she's not. A, she's not a trained actor
1: like those. Um, yeah. those those ladies are. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I think, is the part that bothers me in the second half of his film. Uh, you get the impression that the four of them are pretty tight. So uh-huh. she's the movie star, uh, uh-huh. that they're all, and Tracy and Zoe are stunt people. I don't quite get what Rosario does. Uh, she's the, the makeup artist. Makeup artist, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so that's uh, we have got a day off. And hence they're all hanging out together when this shit goes down. Yeah. But to Zoe's uh, desire for the day is to take for a test drive a you American muscle car that someone's selling. Mm-hmm. And in order to convince him to let them drive the car by themselves without him, they mm-hmm. leave their friend, Lee, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, mm-hmm. as human collateral, as they put it. And the strong insinuation is, she's going to be molested by the guy mm-hmm. who they're leaving um leaving and is, jonathan logren is the actor who plays the same guy but it's buck, My name's buck. buck, buck, yeah. buck. Yeah. um so he's got a big career is playing <laughs> you know molesters which is a horrible thing but like it's... it just didn't didn't gel for me at any point like why would they do that to their to another woman
0: mm-hmm. and
1: to their friend mm. it just didn't click in its sense we, we've got this this is the idea of him as a little as a little group of friends why mm-hmm. would you leave her there to be basically molested by somebody or at least potentially you wouldn't you would just wouldn't leave your friend alone like that with somebody not mm-hmm. a creepy weird guy this guy's playing creepy weird really well yeah and so that bothered me because it if it does it didn't make sense mm. and just because it's a grindhouse film does that mean i mean i guess it means they don't have to make sense but um it didn't make sense in a way that wasn't true to what they were trying to do, I think, if that makes any yes. sense to people out there. It didn't go, oh, this is the doing this because this is what they would do in a Grindhouse film. Mm.
0: I, it just didn't work for me. Mm. It, it Something that you don't really say about Tarantino movies, it felt like lazy writing. It did, yeah. Yeah. And we never find out about her again. She's never
1: mentioned again. I don't talk no. about her again. Like, it's not like go back later and like, Find the guy and kill him or something, which maybe maybe that would have been grindhouse either to add into the
0: female revenge angle. Yeah. Um or they, you know, even, even if they go back to to collect her and she's killed him. Uh, because he was trying to trying to get on her and stuff like that. It's so like, yep, no, that's alright. Sure. Okay. That's 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 grindhouse-y enough. But no, they just they just left it and I did like the final few minutes of Stuntman Mike's, um, presentation, you know, he gets shot and he becomes the, the one that they're sort of like hunting and him just driving along crying, going, I'm sorry, that was a joke. And he's just kind of breakdown of hard man, cool man to sniveling worm. Uh, it, it, the, it's not an
1: unsatisfying ending.
0: Mm.
1: it just there are a lot of really good elements in the works i mean the the acting Uh is in the second half of the film is phenomenal Uh the uh i would like to say the four four ladies were brilliant i just don't know that mary elizabeth winstead was given a lot to do yeah she kind of played played an idiot who was always a step behind the conversation but she did that well Uh um the other three were brilliant rosario dawson i don't think i've ever seen her make a bad film yeah. um she always does well i mean like i have zero interest in what's going on with star wars right now but <laughs> i am tempted to watch the new star wars series a shocker just because she's in it don't do it don't do it don't give them well, the money. I, <laughs> well i've already given them my money they're already subscribed <laughs> to disney plus but you know um and the others were fantastic but not exactly a household name but mm. she's she's does fantastic work in this as well so the acting's great there are bits and pieces of good writing around the place kurt russell is he's fucking kurt russell apparently they wanted john jarrett for this and i'm like oh okay but as much as i like john he was great in wolf creek he wouldn't have not have been as good Mm.
0: um
1: kurt russell's just got charisma um Mm -hmm. and he plays the the evil character really well so there's lots of good things going on it just doesn't quite gel into a into a hole here um so that's, that's the worst thing you've got to say about someone's film. It's not, the, you know, they're not exactly it's scraping, not you, they bold territory, but you know. <laughs> and I have, we have to quickly mention the fake trailers. I think I mentioned it last mm-hmm. week. There are mm-hmm. at least three films, I mm-hmm. think, now that have been made out of those fake trailers. Machete, he gets machete. the girl. Um, <laughs> I love a machete trailer. It's so cool. It, it's just delightful, dumb fun. Um, there is a potential, this could be a third one of those still coming, apparently machete in space, um, yep. which I would be up for, uh, got <laughs> Thanksgiving is supposed to come out. Elo Roth is going to come out later this year. And, uh, I am sure there was one, maybe it was a different version. There was one called hobo with shotgun, which actually was made
0: into a film as well. I don't think that was one of the trailers. I think that was like, there was a competition or something and someone made a trailer for it and then. Rooker Hague uh, made them. Uh, ended up making the movie. I think it might have been produced by Rodriguez or something. Maybe I'm wrong, but um,
1: uh, they all seem pretty cool. I would definitely watch um, uh, werewolf women
0: of the SS. That would be fucking cool. <laughs> yes, same. thing. Um, that was the um, uh, Rob Zombie one, wasn't it?
1: And the, Rob, mate, you're not exactly overflowing with great ideas. Um, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the I mean, monsters wasn't exactly the hit. So um yeah, and of course, Nicolas Cage is was in it as Fu Manchu. He couldn't do that now. Um, But yeah, brilliant.
0: I love the little tra- trailers; they're a lot of fun. They they were highly entertaining, and I'm I'm surprised that people haven't tried to kind of pull more of that kind of thing of fake trailers into other movies in somewhere some way somehow i do like the the nods in both movies to the rodriguez movies and to the tarantino movies just like name drops and um uh, michael parks just kind of reprising reprising his character from so many of the tarantino movies like, well some number one we got ourselves a problem <laughs> it's it's just a great character that you're never going to get any backstory or anything like that for, but it's just, he's fun to watch. He's even in Tusk. Michael Parks is fun. I enjoy him. (laughs) Uh, Just to be clear,
1: uh, Hobo Shotgun was based on a grindhouse cinema. Check the trivia Mm -hmm. of the film. So um, I don't know why it wasn't on Stan. And it wasn't Mm. on the version I watched either. But anyway, (laughs) I used to be clear that. They were great. One last mention for me, the soundtrack, especially yes. fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, Planet Terror in particular, was. they were going to get John Carpenter. Uh-huh. Oh, what an opportunity that would have been. But Robert Rodriguez did it instead, uh-huh. and it's fantastic. Yeah, he did, he did a
0: really good job of just getting that kind of synthy sci-fi it's like like 70s 80s idea of what futuristic soundtracks would sound like and he captured it really well i like it
1: i just yeah we would we would play some but mm-hmm. i i literally got my one of our episodes got a copyright strike on facebook of all places mm-hmm. because george hummed this theme to uh, suburban commando for five seconds uh, I did
0: such a good job good of copying job.
1: it. Literally, the copyright AI picked up you humming the theme <laughs> of Suburban Commando and now made, me, made that video have like the credit to whoever wrote that piece of shit song from like 30 <laughs> years ago. Um,
0: I love the fact that we now actually have a legitimate connection to Hulk Hogan, which is... <laughs> creepy (laughs) uh it's not gonna work for me brother anyway uh
1: did you actually enjoy this just quickly how did you feel about the three hour
0: experience planet terror i enjoyed because it was uh like what an hour and 20 minutes or something like that i can't remember exactly the length of planet terror on its own um It was kind of a refreshing length for a movie, and it's like uh, an hour and 45. I really liked that. I liked the fact that it knew what movie it wanted to be, and it just did that. I appreciate any movie that does that. Look at what we were talking about last week with Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. They knew what movie they wanted to make, and they, they delivered on that, and it served its purpose. Death Proof felt long. Um, And I have a similar critique to it as I did with John Wick 4, where the action sequences, whilst good, just went on for too long. It was too long on some of the car chase sequences. And it was like, okay, yep, you're driving around dirty roads still. Okay, can can we move it on? is I can see exactly why this didn't work as a single feature and I remember um an article with Robert Rodriguez saying yeah it, it was weird Tarantino was able to split one movie and make people pay for it twice to see Kill Bill part one and t- uh, part two we gave them two movies for the price of one and they didn't like it it was like mm, different kind of thing right there but yeah, it's, it's a Maybe it was to... the three-hour thing was just a bit too just before it's time yeah, before it's time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of thing does come around again, where we get to or a couple of hotshot young directors come together and just go, oh, yeah, you're doing really fun independent stuff over there. I'm doing really fun independent stuff over here. Let's do something together and we'll do a 50-minute movie each, package it together, boom, done. I can see that happening again. I don't know who, I don't know how, but I I get the feeling that it's something if you, if we get two indie directors like Tarantino and Rodriguez, both started out as indie directors and they have very much kept their independence to a certain degree um, through creativity, through (laughs) finding funding their own studio or whatever they did, they've still got more autonomy to create the movies that they want to make compared to a lot of other directors out there, I can see that, that kind of formula happening again. And I would imagine that um, people are kind of looking for it. Producers are probably looking for it. The idea is, like, oh yeah, you know what? We're going to help shepherd these independent um, creators. We're going to introduce them and just see what magic happens. Maybe for a
1: limited series or something on a, on a streaming service rather than at the cinema, the,
0: yeah, yeah, I think how... Howell... Maybe a little
1: bit long lines those of um, uh, Guillermo, Gil, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities,
0: right? Yeah, that sort of thing, that anthology style. Sort of like, okay, this is the Umbrella World. You can tell your story. There'll be a little nod here or there, but it's not... We don't have to connect them, nothing like that. I can see that happening. Anyway, you sir, have the keys. Yes, I do. And I'm taking us somewhere that I have never been before. But considering his recent win... Of the Oscars. I'm following Rose McGowan to a movie that I've never watched, but it is directed by one of our more enjoyable directors, Henry Selick, Brandon Fraser in Monkey Bone. I'm not familiar with this one. Monkey Bone. Let me just uh, tell everyone at home what Monkey Bone is. From 2001 ladies and gentlemen yes um it stars brenda fraser um bridget fonda john teruro um who else is it has got rose mcgowan giancano esposito in there um whoopi goldberg and this is in a coma a cartoonist finds himself trapped with his within his own underground creation and must find a way to get back while racing against his popular but treacherous character monkey bone
1: looks that's like it. it did well looks like it had a good reputation it's got a 4.8 out of 10 on IMDB uh-huh. so uh, good to see you keeping the quality up um...
0: <laughs> hey I'm going for things that are a little different little unique and this is definitely one of those <laughs> it certainly does suck. Uh okay that's for next week um but come on and, i'm giving i'm giving you a few good options of where no there's a right. good exit good exercise there it's a good exercise um and we've we've finally got giancarlo esposito on the chain come on bob odenkirk there you go yeah see you've got plenty of places oh no <laughs> there's no
1: shortage of that uh no shortage <laughs> of that no i can take us back to tarantino but um henry <laughs> sellick of course he it was uh, for a second those who don't know he was the man who did um we Nightmare did Before with him a little while ago. He was the director of James and Giant Peach. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Coraline. So he's mm-hmm. been a, he's been a, thereabouts. I think we did the Nightmare Before Christmas
0: as well as I a think chain we movie. Did. So um that Christmas. could be He could he uh, could arguably be our most um
1: I was gonna say haven't been keeping stats, but that's no. four entries um, in the in the chain in the last three years for Henry Selleck. And yeah. yeah, inadvertently, so um, yep, we,
0: we did Nightmare Before Christmas, um, straight after Coraline. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so uh, fourth entry for Henry
1: Selling. Should we move on to the big release though this week? Let's talk about Super Mario, Mario Brothers. <laughs> now, this is the uh, starring Bob Hoskins and John, Le- <laughs> um, sorry, not that one. <laughs> Have you noticed there's been this um, historical revisionism of that film over the past couple of weeks since this one's come out? Like, It I'm always like, oh, happened. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad.
0: And I'm like, yes, it, yes, was. it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> You're trying to make your uh, childhood more enjoyable in retrospect. It was trash. Uh, <laughs> Super
1: Mario, I mean, like, do we need to explain what this is about? The story of the Super Mario Brothers on their journey through the Mushroom Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have the authentic Italian... Chris Pratt playing Mario's voice. <laughs> um, Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach. Charlie Bay uh-huh. as Luigi. Jack Black as Bowser. Uh, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. keegan Muckle key as Toad. Uh-huh. Um, Fred Armisen playing Cranky Kong. Uh-huh. Uh, have I missed anyone famous? Either? Charles Martinet, who plays Mario's dad. Of course, yeah. he, is, he is the Mario. actual voice of Mario. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, it's um, nice they found space for him
0: yeah it's it's got a, a plethora of additional voices in there that are ironically well maybe not considering they are nerdy voice actors sitting around playing dungeons and dragons critical role you've got Kari payton um as the penguin king and you've also got um, ashley birch does uh, some voice work in that and she played the character of keg in season uh, in campaign two um was she actually, was
1: she did. She voiced that
0: uh, tiny Tina. Was that yes? That actually, or yes. was that a different actually? Yes, and she also yes. did. Um... Oh god, um, life is strange. The life is strange video games. She was very instrumental in them. <laughs> so, um,
1: I'm very curious to hear what you think about this. I think mm-hmm. if there's one of us here that is. I've taken off the Tarantino fanboy hat, and I think it's time for you to put on the crown of Nintendo fanboyism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've grown up with it. We've both grown mm-hmm. up with this character. You've played a lot more Mario games than I have, mm-hmm. and it is
0: chock full of Easter eggs. Every single scene, um, every single sound, every single piece of music, every reference. It is, I said it about painting to the, paint the edges with terror. They do that with this as well for everything going back to there's references to jump man the fact that they've got charles Martinet in there the fact that it covers so much of the universe of mario you've got um obviously there's mario kart and the rainbow road you've got um some of the original kind of the, the training montage that mario has to go through it's like yep that's basically every two um, D side-scrolling Mario game that's ever come out. Um, you've, it's it's just everywhere, and it's wonderful. Um, this is absolutely a children's movie. They are not trying to make anything. This is I would not even necessarily say that this is a family-friendly movie because it is very much skewed to the younger audience. Um, but even then there's enough if you're a, if you're a fan fanboy if you grew up living in and, and loving this there's so much there and it kind of makes me want. like some people i've seen reviewers kind of saying oh it's disappointing because it i just want to go and play mario so I'm like yes that's part of the design of this thing is to push it that's why mario games are on sale on the nintendo switch at the moment Products mac connections right there but I kind of also get that point because the mushroom kingdom looks fantastic and the sort like going from one to another I want a fully immersive Mario Kingdom 3D open world game beautiful unreal engine 5 style ray tracing everything just make it I want to play this movie because it just looks wonderful and it captures the the sense of the Mario that has been presented to us all this time um and it updates it a little bit to, to the modern age. For example, Princess Peach is not just your, help me, Mario. She's a warrior princess. I, 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 want, to take, I want to take point with that. I've seen people say this. Mm.
1: Super Mario 3, she was a playable character. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure what the second one, but she's definitely a playable one in the third one. Mm-hmm. And that is 1988. So for characterization, I've seen people go, it's a woke film, because mm-hmm. um, they make Peach better. So I was like, Peach was kicking shit out of coopers and whatever you want to call them.
0: Ignited in the 80s, so they can get the fuck out. Well, it's part of, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people who kind of fl- uh, fly the flag for um, female representation in modern uh, video games like with um, Ashley Birch's character, bringing her up again. Um, for um can't remember the character's name, but in Horizon Zero Dawn, she's a strong woman there, you've got the character of um Tomb Raider, um, you've got lots of other ones, but it's like Nintendo kind of did away with that sort of quite a while ago. Like Metroid, Samus Aaron, was this badass bounty hunter in this suit, and at the end of I think it's the second game, you find out that it's a woman. It's like, yep, you're a badass. That's all that matters. It's fantastic. Um Peach being a playable character was a a good um interesting nod and addition but i do also kind of get their point um to a certain degree because it does feel a little bit like they are somewhat pandering to it because that's they they maybe they wouldn't feel like they wouldn't be able to release it if it was just damsel in distress, especially after success of things like Wonder Woman um, and the amount of female superheroes that we've had, particularly in the Marvel Universe, where they are strong, independent people. And I get that. I think they do it quite well here personally. I think that she is an engaging, interesting character. I think that it makes sense that she's a fighter. Um, because the toads definitely can't fight <laughs> and I think it's it's an entertaining character and it adds a little bit more to the relationship. The, the balancing act for what they do on this social level I think is when when we get to the end she does still need to be saved by Mario and Luigi but it's not just her and that's the kind of the payoff is there are a couple of people that are in danger and so it's not just princess in danger damsel in distress scenario. it's she's there fighting along with everyone else and it doesn't matter i'd had no problem with kind of a woke nature of this movie or anything like that i thought it was good i liked i liked anya taylor joy and as princess peach i thought she did a good job i think actually all of the voice actors generally do a good job they're not entirely what i was expecting but i did like Chris Pine's voice as Mario. It was it wasn't Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, yes, sorry. It's the other Chris. <laughs> no, the other one.
1: Um, um I am yeah. I, I don't share your obsession with uh Nintendo <laughs> because I'm not a filthy casual. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not nine years old, sorry. Um but I am it, both of those. <laughs> all right, sorry, I had to get the t- I had to get the tea Um it's uh, i played the original of course i played mm-hmm. you know the first two or three of these i played three a lot which is a very odd game it's a funny story behind super mario 3 you mm-hmm. probably find it on youtube you should look into it um and i played a lot of super mario uh mario kart on the nintendo 64 mm-hmm. i think that's probably the last mario game i played mm-hmm. um so but i picked up a lot of the you know little eggs uh, easter eggs the, the jump man like but mm-hmm. the thing on the machine i'm like oh, i know what that is princess um, is in another castle a little, little i think you're, you are right but this is a film that has been made purely for children i was mm-hmm. in a cinema i have not been in a cinema with that many kids since i was a kid i think and mm-hmm. they all seemed very entertained since they were quiet throughout the film mm-hmm. um, and i they didn't hear a lot of laughing or cheering occasional giggle and laugh here, but like, I assume that quiet children are entertained children. And mm-hmm. hence it did the job for them. Um, this is made by illumination. So mm-hmm. I think those are the guys who do the, um, minion films and, uh, yes. stuff like that. They are a B grade, um, animation house. They are not Pixar. And this film is very much where's the fact it's not Pixar on its sleeve. In a sense, the writing is lame. Like it doesn't even try to tell a story that would be remotely satisfying to anybody. Who's not a, a Mario super fan or nine. Um, -hmm. for me, I I was like, I wasn't, I didn't hate this film. I was just bored. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I mean, I I could see the references like, you know, that I liked some of them, like they drive off the side of a rainbow
0: road to try and land on the other
1: yeah. How many fucking times I tried to do that
0: and I never (laughs) pulled it off. Um, you, had to, you had to reverse off the start line and yeah. then jump off on the left-hand side of the track and then you just cut out the whole thing. It's, it's, <laughs>
1: but that was little ones like that were nice. And, but, but it was such a lame, lazy story. It was like, well, they're really okay. great animated films, like the Pixar film. I think of a film like Inside Out or Up. Mm. They have the surface story, which kids can love and laugh at and goof off at and have a great fucking time but it's Mm -hmm. got this second layer of story in there for the adults and Mm -hmm. for the older kids out there to tell them a little bit about life or something important. Now, I don't necessarily expect Mario to to be telling kids something important about life, but Mm -hmm. I expect a level of writing above a Saturday morning cartoon from the mid-80s, which is what this kind of felt like.
0: There is not one single good gripping story in Mario, in any Mario game. I know, so that's not to stop them from
1: actually <laughs> writing one, right? I mean, they get that they is a fair point. They've got professional but writers. They went to school for
0: this, you know. Like, had, why can't you find an entertaining re- story? They had the they had the family drama. Father not um, respecting son's wishes. It's it doesn't. It <laughs> I'm not saying it needs to be these things. I'm just saying that's what separates
1: this film from being a really really good animated film <laughs> from being bog standard, run of the mill saturday morning cartoon stuff that's yeah. all it is is basically saturday morning cartoon fair it's yeah. it's lazy tropes and and hackneyed stereotypes of a kind of story you'd expect to see and another thing is this is all fine if you go into this and have your yeah. kids entertained your kids will enjoy this they will be entertained yeah. they'll shut the hell up for an hour and a half and they'll have a good time and they'll probably keep talking about it for a long time afterwards uh-huh. and like you said they'll want to go home and probably play mario on their uh-huh. switch it's and there's nothing wrong with that, except it's all right. Do not try and piss on my leg and tell me it's raining and tell me this is a great movie. It's not a great movie, it's a solid kids movie. Mm-hmm. It is does not qualify to carry the bags of most of the great animated content that comes out. We are in the golden age of animated film right now, or with the back end of it. Um <laughs> you know <laughs> if I- Disney out of their way, it'll be dead before you know it. I, I had the trailer for oh, <laughs> Elemental before the movie uh, when I mm-hmm. saw it. I don't know it's playing everywhere. Yeah. Um, and watch the trailer of Elemental. You're like, now that looks like a good movie that I actually want to go and see. Oh. Like, and that's kind of it's going to be a story. It's going to have again that two level thing that they've been doing so mm-hmm. well since Toy Story. So, look, that's not to say you can't just tell a straight ahead story mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they have here, but you know, uh, the, the, the the bar has been raised on this kind of thing there's absolutely no reason why you can't make a film now that mm-hmm. is good for both your your audience uh, your kid audience and your older audience it doesn't make parents want to poke their eyes out mm-hmm. with spoons
0: um I- and this is a very good point um and i think it is we're very quickly approaching a that tipping point for nintendo movies already after two successful movies you've got Uh, detective pikachu and you got this financially both very successful story-wise very very shallow nintendo are in danger of if they do it a third time with another one of their properties just bring out another movie and really aim it for kids they're gonna damage their brand with the older generation for movies they're gonna be nintendo's for kids and that is a trope that nintendo has had for decades on their consoles, they are the the kids' console, and then eventually you upgrade to PlayStation and Xbox because that's where the mature games are. Slightly different environment there because the games are... It depends on how good the game is and how good it feels to play the game, but there is still that very, very obvious divide of age gap. I think what Nintendo needs to do to be able to stay all audiences brand in the cinema like they would probably actually really like to be in the in the video game space. They need to create something that is a bit more mature. I'm thinking if they were able to bring to the screen either Metroid or Legend of Zelda, and if they got like the guys that created Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra, if they went here, you go here's um his Legend of Zelda make something they're really good at having that saturday cartoon kids thing but with really good emotional I, I story. Think,
1: i think the idea here is if you're going to go out into another property zelda is the obvious choice i think Metroid is mm. the other one now I'm, i've mm. never played any of the metroid games i did play the first zelda that game would. back in back in the 1860s um <laughs> um i i but then correct me if i'm wrong there are some decent stories available in the zelda universe you can pick mm. from right ocarina of time arguably one of the greatest games ever made i'm assuming the story's part of it not just the gameplay Uh um so there's no excuse next time Uh to make saturday morning direct i think maybe it maybe i'm being unfair comparing it to to pixar pixar is or was the crème de la crème Uh maybe a better comparison is the lego movie same thing again who thought the lego movie was going to be any good it was fucking great and i bet kids kids loved it and it was fun and mm-hmm. this film is so by the numbers. It was like, mm-hmm. it could have been written by an AI program. That's how lame this story is. I'm just
0: <laughs> You've just, you've just created somewhere chat AI has just started writing its first feature film. I, it, it wouldn't surprise
1: me. It just, it just wouldn't surprise me. Like I'm, I'm being hard on it here. Like I said, I just, yeah. I didn't hate it. I was like, it was there. It was inoffensive. It was gone. It was bad. Chris Pratt was a waste of time. Why they spent money on Chris Pratt, it could have been anybody they could have got to do it because it didn't even sound like Chris Pratt. Like, I there's a, people like go, I will only see an animated film with a big star is voicing the characters. Uh, Mario's a star in this, it could have given could have got um, anybody to have done it. Um, uh, same with Anya Taylor Joy, she doesn't have a particularly uh, noticeable voice, uh, unique yeah. or voice or sound. The two call outs I'll say Jack Black, Bowser. Amazing choice. Peaches, 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 peaches. And, and then people were talking about the song, the, the song winning like Oscar. I'm like, oh, God, I hope you're not serious. No. Um, and and not. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong was an excellent choice. They were, they, He was fantastic as well. in has enjoyed, a very mm. noticeable voice, very unique voice. You go yeah. straight away, oh, that's Seth Rogen.
0: Yeah. I enjoyed Charlie Day as Luigi. I thought he had a suitable amount of panic to his voice that it brought Luigi to life for me in a way beyond. So like Mario, it was there was a little bit more to him, which was kind of nice. And um, uh, 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 Keegan Michael Key as Toad, very um, synthesized voice, but it was annoying and charming at the same time. And they made sure not to give him too much to talk about. So that it didn't outstay its welcome, they because it could very easily have just been way too much straight away. Um, what did you make of it? The I, I, I want to. We, we're getting long on
1: time. I want mm, to. Yeah. I don't, but what did you think of a two D gaming sequence if You talked about them earlier. I thought they were ridiculous.
0: I I liked them as a fan, but as uh, as a movie, it's like. Okay.
1: Do I need did... gameplay
0: in my movies? No, but that that was the thing. They, they kind of tried to... They pulled this trick in Super Mario Odyssey, where there's this great introduction to New Donk City, one of the levels, and it's kind of set in a pseudo-New York. And the opening is essentially you're running through the history of Mario, going from his basically from jump man all the way through to modern age. And it is done fantastically. It feels great playing it and looking at it. And it's a genuine celebration. And you've got, um, that of so like swing song playing. So I like jump up and it just feels cool. And there's this energy to it doing it in this movie. It didn't have that. It didn't have the same charm. It didn't have the same energy. And maybe that's the difference between playing and watching, but I don't know it didn't it didn't quite hit for me i got an idea of what they were trying to do but this didn't quite work the good news story
1: for this film for me is it goes to show back to my prediction from 2015 (laughs) the value of why i think video game films are going to be so valuable going into the future Uh superhero films are one type of film right Uh they're superhero films right that's Uh really we've seen marvel fiddle around the edges of what you can do with a superhero film. Uh-huh. Look at this. This is a super. This is a video game film. Uh-huh. This is a fucking pure kids film. Same with Detective uh-huh. Pikachu. Comedy uh-huh. kids films. We could look at uh, a TV show at like The Last of Us, which is a uh-huh. super intense horror drama. Uh-huh. We're going to see Fallout soon. What are the fuck are they going to do with that? Uh-huh. A post-apocalyptic drama of some kind. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's such a broad genre the, the the wealth of material and stories and built-in fan bases, which is what they love. Oh yeah. Um yeah, they love a brand now. It's just sitting there waiting for someone to come in and grab it. And it's mm-hmm. such a, a giant school of different
0: types of stories you can tell. It's really interesting with um the sort of like the, the store the success of Super Mario Brothers and people like Jack Black and others are saying, Yeah, I want to see a Red Dead movie or TV show. like, yep, sign me up. I'll be down for that. There you go.
1: Wesson. Nah, anyway.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I, I don't know who Jack Black would be in that, by the way. I mean, I don't see an obvious selection for someone he's of Jack done, Black. He's done serious roles before. he no, like, sure as hell wouldn't want him as John Marsden or or you know any of the protagonists. Or, <laughs> he's too old. But you know, um it, it's it's it occurred to me is like this genre, these properties. is even the properties we're talking about there, we can have Effective Pikachu, Mario, Link, or the Legend of Zelda—what do you want to call it? Uh-huh. Um, they, the Legend of Zelda presents, presents a great opportunity to tell a story that will appeal to a much older and more uh. complex audience, um, uh. and that's just—it's just Nintendo's properties. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah. I will stop now because I've made my point for ten years on ago. And, go. But, <laughs> and if, let's move on for something decidedly mediocre. To something that is equally mediocre, and that is (laughs) the Boston Strangler on Disney
0: Plus, or Hulu, I believe, in the US. Mm -hmm. Now, let's get this straight away off the bat. This is probably the most shake-and-bake, mass murderer, serial killer, movie-by-the-numbers movie by the numbers movie that I've seen in a very long time. The color palette is ripped straight from Zodiac. Um, it's got a so, real Zodiac vibe to it. Yeah. And even the, sort of like um, some of the, the kind of newsroom uh, reporters, um, scenes and things like that. They've almost got like a, a weird flair of mindhunter to them. And there's, there's a lot of David Fincher light about the presentation
1: of this movie. And let me just make one quick point here. This is written and directed by a bloke named Matt Ruskin. Mm-hmm. He is not David Fincher. No. No. no he is not. <sighs> to be clear, so the plot summary, Loretta McLaughlin was the reporter who first connected the murders and mm-hmm. broke the story of a Boston Stranger. She mm-hmm. and Jean Cole challenged the sexism of the early 1960s report on the city's most notorious serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's trying to do a couple of things. I think mean, it's trying to sort of relive some of the fun. Uh, an excitement of a film like Zodiac, which was also about sort of a newspaper reporter uh, investigating a serial killer and becoming obsessed, mm-hmm. um, and also trying to sort of tell a story about women pushing back about against sexism and getting mm-hmm. the job done, which is actually the most interesting part of a story for me in some ways yes. because I um, uh, I knew a little about the Boston Strangler. I knew they caught him. I didn't know there was so much doubt about who, whether he, the person they caught was the, the murderer or not. Mm. That was interesting. And yeah. I had no idea that the, the, the actual crimes were brought to light by by a female reporter in the 60s. And that's quite a remarkable story at the time. Yeah. And had they focused more maybe on that and less on the Zodiac elements, it would mm. have felt less derivative Yeah, that they didn't. <laughs> yeah. They focused probably more on the zodiac angle um
0: mm-hmm. and
1: gosh i mean what happened to Kira knightley you know she once point in time she was the next big thing and like what was the last keira knightley film you saw before this probably the last pirates film she was in
0: um well we saw her in um never let me go which but that's think actually... I mean, chronologically that's 2010. Yeah is um 2014 the imitation game i think that was the one i saw her most recently in yeah uh yep that's it oh no she was she was very briefly in dead men tell no tales which i didn't see but yeah um (laughs) so
1: i it's interesting that she 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 has her career has stalled yeah and now she's doing this kind of thing
0: yeah and it's it's very it's very safe for her, I think. Um, she's just, her her physique is very fitting for that um, 60s housewife look. So it it's period, it fits in with the period, but it's also very much a Kira Knightley kind of thing to try and push beyond that I'm a pretty woman in in an oppressive world that's kind of what she seems to like to put her teeth into um but it it just feels so so paint by numbers you've got chris cooper in there as well who's playing chris cooper yeah he and he's he's a academy award winner from a couple of years ago Kira knightley has won an oscar i know she was nominated nominated i think she actually won by the um, way, a couple of years ago
1: for Chris Cooper, I'm pretty sure that was Adaptation. And I think that was like 20 years ago, um, if I'm not mistaken. Jeez. Um, <laughs> <that's... laughs> a couple of years. Um, Kura has been nominated for two Oscars, I think. Actually, one mm. might have been. uh and just wait and see what they oh, were. Oh, but...
0: Nina Karanina, I think. Anna
1: And Yeah, Anna Karanina. Uh, n- no, she was nominated for Pride and Prejudice in 2006. Mm-hmm. And yep. the imitation game in 2015. Huh. So um okay. uh, yeah, you're right. So but she, if it, Chris uh, the fan is I don't think Chris stretches out too much these days. He's just got a pretty pretty good uh job just playing Chris Cooper. But also the it's surprising to see David uh and pop up in here as well playing a very david desmelchian type role i was gonna say is it really surprising <laughs> in the sense that he's kind of putting his career is going places now a little bit with his dc roles interesting to see him pop up in this kind of Drek. Mm. um look i said Drek. this film is perfectly cromulent it's yes. not particularly exciting uh no. or interesting um it's a, it's a good time hour 52 and kind mm. of a reason i picked it was we were going to watch something a lot more interesting but mm. um, Grindhouse was a long movie mm-hmm. um, and I know George had a busy weekend. So mm-hmm. I thought it might, I'd try and make it as easy as possible on him and myself by picking something that was fairly easy to access mm. in, uh, this is on Disney plus and streaming. So I thought that would make it a little easier. Um, mm. Mm. But my goodness, it was just so five minutes after I finished watching it,
0: I forgot I watched it. Mm. That's, that's definitely, it's, its biggest sin like i've i've mentioned it for grindhouse and for super mario of painting to the edges this is barely using any color literally it's it's a very muted color palette for production value but it never kind of fully invests into any of the could be interesting things like the boston strangler is a name of a serial killer that i know i don't know much about it but they don't go full tilt into that and make it deep and dark and scary like seven or something like that where they would kind of relish in them in the horror of it um they don't go as deep into the social element of women's rights and liberation as they could which is the more interesting story in my opinion and at the same time they don't really they don't really settle on anything and therefore kind of very lackluster It's like, Oh yeah, that happened. I forgot about that. Oh yeah. That was another thing that happened. And it's It's also mundane.
1: Predictable too. Mm. Like we're watching it and like Michelle be like, Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. And like 30 seconds later that happens. And you're like, (laughs) it's like, you're really telegraphing your punches here. Like it's just full of tropes. It reminds you of better... Halfway through, I was like, I wish I was watching Zodiac, because that's a much, much better film than this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um So, look, if you're a big Keira Knightley fan, if you're particularly interested in the story of A Boston Strangler, and it's an interesting part, because that is actually an interesting story. It is not mm-hmm. your stereotypical serial killer story, just due to that twist at the end, that mm-hmm. Albert DeSalvo was... Um, not going to be convicted that he was acknowledged he confessed to being the killer but there Mm. seems to be reasonable doubt to some degree whether he was or was not the only one committing these crimes and Mm. yeah looks like he committed some of them did he commit all of them was it a group of people you know like that's a kind of an interesting story but they did not do it very successfully tell it here Mm -mm. but if you're very interested in the story you know maybe take a look as it's an inoffensive hour 52 yeah (laughs) I mean, you know, like it it was not two and a half hours, it's it's fine, but as you said, it's shake and bake, paint by numbers, doing nothing particularly original. You've seen this yeah. film before.
0: Yeah. It's very safe in its in what it tries to do and in that it it kind of fails. Not, it didn't didn't put anything on the line, it didn't lose anything, didn't gain anything. Yeah. Binge
1: Browse,
0: burn. Burn. All right.
1: We were gonna have a look at beef. Did you have a chance to look at any of that? Haven't yet. Like you said, I've had a very busy week. (laughs) A busy week. Um, You know, your your tour of Southern Australia, um, you know, it it, it Mm -hmm. takes priority. I Um, did
0: not have a pie
1: floater this time. Um, George was attending his favorite sport in Adelaide over the weekend. (laughs) Uh, yes, chest. uh chess boxing, right? No, chess um <laughs> nope, this was basketball. <laughs> basketball. I thought it was <laughs> um anyway. That was um that was the other trip. There's so many sports. Um it's too many. Beef. I checked out the first episode last night, and I'm gonna put mm-hmm. this squarely in the binge category. So okay. here's something for you to look forward to. Uh Beef is a film, a, a film, sorry, short and limited series. It's mm-hmm. available now on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, starring uh, Stephen Ewan and Ali Wong. Stephen Ewan, of course, probably best known for uh, The Walking Dead, but also the um, Academy Award-nominated uh, film about the Faminari, farm- a Korean farmer comes to America. That was the, yeah.
0: the Didn't voice. did he also do the voice of um, Invincible? Not sure. Um yeah. anyway,
1: the other star in beef is Ali Wong. He does do mm. the footmark, Grayson in Invin- Invincible, in Invincible. I forgot ah, about that.
0: Yeah, that's Ali it. Ali yeah. Wong,
1: a stand-up comic. Also, I talked about her a couple of months that's ago. It. She was in Always Be My Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in ugh, Birds of Prey. Um, oh, yeah,
0: funny. she was.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's very easy to forget what happened in that film because it was a deeply forgettable film. Um yeah. two people that have road rage and burrow into their minds and slowly consume their every thought and action. This is very cynical, very, very dark. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about that. <laughs> um so we meet uh Stephen Newen plays Danny, Ali Wong plays Amy. We meet them uh having a road rage incident in the car park of a hardware store, which turns into a, a chase uh-huh. through the, the suburban streets near the car, near the uh, hardware uh, store. And yeah, they, they, neither of them can forget it. Um, uh-huh. The opening scene of this fil- this show involves Danny Cho at this hardware store, attempting to return a pile of hibachi grills and a carbon monoxide detector. Now, I don't know how many people out there know what you might do with that combination of goods, but it's not good. <laughs> um, I, 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 I want to be a responsible broadcaster no. and not join yep. the dots for everybody. Mm-hmm. But just think about that. That is the opening scene. Um, It's dark. It's cynical. It's sarcastic. One episode in only, but like, uh-huh. This is the, the writing is really fantastic. they written by a guy, created by a guy named Lee Sung Jin,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, who is not a, a super well known name, but um, uh, he's done some interesting work at Grandall Place, including on Silicon Valley. Uh-huh. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, I haven't seen his other TV series, uh-huh. um, but I think this might be the start of something beautiful for him because this is looking particularly good.
0: Mm, mm, Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, What have I been watching? Let me just quickly go through some of my things here. Uh, Wait a minute. Someone's been using my... I'm looking at my thing previously watched, and i like, I didn't watch that. That's very disturbing. I'm worried. Um, I haven't bothered going back to Mandalorian Season 3. Just that is very heavily in the burn, because the latest episode apparently has got Jack Black and Lizzo in it. And it's like, okay, that is... <laughs> Why are they doing stunt casting? I, d- I don't like it. And just stop, please, please, for all our
1: sakes. It's like when they had Stacey Abrams turn up on Star Trek as, like, the Federation president or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's... Why? Just why? I was mildly tempted to go and try out uh, the new series of Picard, but then I thought, why? So I didn't. (laughs) Um, They had
1: two chances. They fucked them up.
0: Yeah. Um... Honestly I haven't had much chance to really do anything new. Um, one of the things that I did go back to for um, uh, re- recently is um talked about it before the legend of Korra and that is it's one of the reasons why I mentioned the creators of that doing the legend of Zelda because when you look at Avatar the Last Airbender and you look at The Legend of Korra like the Harry Potter books, the the first book one, book two and book three of The Legend of Aang, it grows with the audience as they're watching it and they get, they introduce more mature content as it goes on and much more emotional depth. And then years later, they brought out Legend of Korra, which is a follow on story years after the end of the first one. And that too, is like, no, the people that were what that grew up on Aang. They're gonna to want to watch this, and they have gotten older. They know who their audience is, and they aim for it, and they do it well. And it's great writing. They have subtlety of world building. They have the interesting characters that have growth in the story. They're not the same painted character from beginning to end. They change. They evolve. Particularly the character of Cora. Won't give it away for anyone. Um, but the evolution that she has throughout personal evolution is great and it's really well told story that for anyone who is interested that is it's a lot of content so i keep it in the browse section but it is if you've got the time and the investment it is binge worthy because it is just great storytelling across a generation it's great top quality stuff
1: interesting and how are you watching this
0: uh that is um the Legend of Korra is on Netflix. I think it is.
1: I have a rare entry in the burn category, ah. uh, and this I gave fifteen minutes before. <sighs> okay. That is Rabbit Hole.
0: This Was that is the for Sutherland one? New
1: Kiefer Sutherland series. It is streaming in Australia on Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. Fuck knows how you watch it overseas. I know if Paramount Plus exists overseas. But I'm sure it's streaming somewhere.
0: John uh-huh. here, a
1: private essay to preservation of democracy in a world constantly at odds. Uh-huh. Uh, a noticeably puffy, uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, <laughs> appears to be playing a very similar character to his, uh, character in 24, uh-huh. which I never really watched a lot of, I couldn't get into it. And this kind of explains why. It's hackneyed, <laughs> cliche, dull,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: full of tropes, and 15 minutes of this cringe worthy Drek <coughs> and a depressingly puffy Kiefer Sutherland was all I could stand. I'm sorry. It went straight Aww. into the moon. Now, I should note it has a 7.6 in IMDB uh mm-hmm. so maybe i'm wrong i don't know but um knock if you're a big fan of 24 maybe this is the four, but no thank you
0: i remember i really enjoyed 24 and when they went back for season two and then i think they ended up with four or five seasons of that show they never managed to recapture the energy of the first season it was a co- high concept thing—the idea of the clock ticking constantly and ticking down. That was a great concept, but at the same time, yeah, it's like it's—it's it's that famous line from John McLean: "How can the shit this same shit happen to the same guy twice?" It's it, that's what it always felt like with with Twenty Four, which is a shame because Kiefer Sullivan really found something to dig his teeth into and do a really good compelling performance for he was really worthy of of praise that he got for that one to be clear um, there were eight seasons oh dang okay <laughs> all right <laughs> that's um that, ouch <laughs> that's that's a lot of punishment <laughs> for anyone who watches it never mind those who actually yeah anyway <laughs> um yeah, I don't have anything else to talk about right now because I've just been knee-deep in basketball. <laughs>
1: Very well. Um, then I think we can typo around this one. Yeah, look at that. Just so over what, the one, one third. We don't always have time to bring you new content, people. If the people from the TV stations would like to start sending us codes and streaming DVDs and stuff so we can talk about it. Yes, please. True to our millions and millions of viewers and um, listeners we will be happy to until that's mm-hmm. what we can find time for.
0: hmm but, um, it is life back to normal now. So I will definitely have a few things because there are a couple of shows that are very much on my radar, beef being one of them, as well as a couple of other options that I've been wanting to sit down and experience. So I will be able to fulfill plenty of binge browse burn. You're back with vengeance next week. but uh for today that is the end of our show we talked about our chain movie of the week which was grindhouse i have picked monkey bone as our connector with rose mcgowan being the connection between those two we talked about the super mario brothers movie and the boston strangler we had a um, a good binge nomination for episode one of beef as well as my retro browse slash binge for legend of ang and the la cora um, until next time ladies and gentlemen thank you very much there's been the talent mr travis croft right there as always bringing the intelligence to the show me bringing whatever i bring <laughs> But thank you very much good night good night